We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. For many years, the unofficial motto of the city of Glasgow, Scotland was, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of the word of God and the worship of his people. How's that for a city motto? (laughs) And after a while, uh, time passed and uh, secularism uh, crept in. And today, the official motto of the city, and you'll see it everywhere if you go there, it's on public buildings, it's on trash cans in the park. The official motto is, let Glasgow flourish. It's a positive statement. Uh, It's a hopeful statement, but it's also thin. (laughs) It's It's a wish, it's a vague wish. We hope we do well. But my prayer for you is, may this church always flourish by the preaching of the Word of God and the worship of His people. Somebody say amen. (laughs) May this church flourish numerically, yes, growing, winning the lost, and uh, qualitatively as, as we progress and become more like Christ, better disciples, may you flourish by the preaching of the Word of God and the worship of His people. Well, our text today is a prayer, and we are going to make Paul's prayer our prayer as we work through this text. And it begins, do you have it in front of you there? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I want you to know, uh, Park Street, that I've been praying for you these last few days, and as I drove down here today from the North Shore, I was praying for you as I drove, and I was giving thanks for you. I was giving thanks for this historic, pivotal, uh, this outpost of the gospel here in the city, such an important church in God's work. And I was giving thanks. This is a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. May it ever be so. And so, here's what he prays after giving thanks. Verse um, 17, here's what I'm praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so, he prays for sight, for, for insight, for illumination. Did you catch the words? He prays for wisdom. He prays for revelation, knowledge, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. And that is our prayer. 
Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, this morning we pray for sight. Remove the spiritual cataracts. Uh, cure our spiritual myopia. Give us clear-sighted knowledge of God and what you have done for us in Christ. In his name, amen. Well, the prayer becomes a little more specific now. Uh, the Apostle Paul mentions some things uh, kind of zeroing in on this prayer for insight. The first one is that he prays we would understand the hope of our calling. That's in verse 18. Uh, may he give you uh, this uh, sight, may you be enlightened so that you, uh, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. God's calling is a wonderful action on his part. It's a wonderful uh, doctrine in the Bible. The, the eye of the Lord went to and fro over the face of the earth, and he leaned out over the balcony of heaven, and he chose, and he called. And when he calls, it is an effectual call, and he moves in our hearts to respond to him. And the apostle Paul prays, and we pray, May you know this, may you understand this, may you grasp it, may you see it, may you feel it, may you be enlightened to know the hope of your calling. I think that uh, maybe uh, the adoptive parents here, or maybe uh, parents of foster children, may have a special insight into this because you took someone not naturally, not biologically part of your family, and you made them part of your family. In a sense, you, you chose, you called, you grafted them in, you opened uh, the door of your heart, you opened the door of your house, and they took your name and they became your child. Isn't that beautiful? And that is what God has done for us. We weren't naturally part of his family. We were uh, lost in our sins, and he said, uh, I call you, come. My wife and I are adoptive parents. Our son is now 30 years old. Yesterday was his half birthday. He was 30.5 yesterday. <laughs> I texted him. And uh, when he was a little boy, um, I was in charge of putting him to bed at night. It was one of my parental duties. And for a long time, for a few years, we had this going to bed ritual that we would do. Here's what we would do. I would say, put up your hands, and put up his hands. And I would say, if I could line up all the little boys in the world, and I would go walking, walking, walking down the row. And if God let me choose any little boy to be my own little boy, and if I saw you, I would stop. And I would choose you. <laughs> And that's what God did. 
I choose you, I call you, welcome, I open the door, be mine. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul says that this gives us hope. May you know, may you understand, may you be enlightened about the hope of your calling. Some of you, uh, the Lord used a Christian family. You, you were brought up in a Christian family for that calling. That, that's a good place to be called. Some of you uh, uh, in college had a friend or a roommate who was a Christian, and the Lord used that and called you. For some of you, perhaps for many, the Lord used a trial. Did you know he does that often? He uses difficulties. What did C.S. Lewis say? Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The great preacher of London, uh, Spurgeon, in the 1800s sent, said, uh, sometimes God sends his love letters in black-edged envelopes. What does that mean? Well, in the culture of the day, uh, a funeral announcement would go out in an envelope with a black edge, and God sends his love letters sometimes uh, in trials. Well, however he did it, uh, the Apostle Paul says, and we say and we affirm, uh, we rejoice in the hope of this calling. Hope in the Bible is not, uh, we, use, we use the term uh, in a very loose way, a vague way today, uh, sort of like, well, I hope the Red Sox do better next year. Uh, it's, it's a vague wish. But in the Bible, hope is more like confident expectation. It's not certain. It is something in the future. You don't have it now, but there, there's a confidence. There's an expectation. And may you experience the hope associated with your calling. Hope is in short supply today. We have a, almost an epidemic of uh, anxiety and depression, and the numbers keep going up. I saw statistics the other day, and uh, it, it's not showing any sign of tapering off. And so maybe this word, about the hope of our calling is, is a good word for us. I saw in the statistics that women are more likely to experience anxiety and depression. We worry about, you know, we slog along under this, this, uh, this load of uh, feeling inadequate. I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not winsome enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not gifted enough, and especially for Christians, I'm not good enough. And perhaps we, we slog along with this kind of functional, low-level depression, perhaps because our eyes are fixed on the wrong place. Maybe we're looking to ourselves, and that's going to be a recipe uh, for low-level depression. If we ever do live up to these man-made artificial standards, whatever they may be, then we get proud, but more often we fall short 
and our eyes are fixed this way. I have to do more. I have to be better. I have to be smarter. I have to achieve more. Oh, that's, uh, it's not going to work. Maybe our eyes instead should be fixed on Jesus. His love, his righteousness, his standing with his Father is extended to us. This is the hope of our calling. May you experience, may I experience, may we be enlightened, may we understand this this hope of calling. Romans 8.30 says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. When he calls, there's a, there's a chain of events and an unbroken uh, keeping all the way to the end. When he calls, he keeps. This is the hope of our calling. May God help us to see it, to feel it, to understand it, to believe it, the hope of our calling. So let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father of hope, enlighten us. Help us to see, help us to remember your calling. Help us to remember that when you call, you keep. Help us to take hope as we place our faith in you, not in self. And Lord, please use this hope to crowd out anxiety. Amen. The second thing he prays for, also in verse 18, is that we uh, pray that we would understand our inheritance. Look at verse 18. Uh, may you know the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, mean, that means heaven. That means the inheritance that is waiting for the, us. In a sense, we're looking future now. May we know and understand and have insight into these this inheritance that he has prepared for us. Rewards for faithfulness, uh, joy for sorrow, health for sickness, unity for division, shalom for brokenness. You see, you and I are just sojourners here. We're just passing through. And we need and we pray that we would fix our eyes forward at a place where our rewards are laid up in heaven and uh, here on earth, uh, thieves break in and steal and, and uh, moths destroy and rust uh, uh, corrodes. But in heaven, there is a bright future. May we know it. What does the old song say? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And the Apostle Paul says, Amen, that's right. May you have the eyes of your heart enlightened to grasp your inheritance. It's coming. See, in the old days, uh, they used to think that when you died, that was it. Uh, they, they, they 
they dug a hole and they put you in the ground and they, they threw some dirt and, and that's it. But then Christ rose and we began to see that this is not the end. There is there's something else beyond. For many years, the uh, motto of the great country of Spain was a Latin phrase, ne plus ultra. Uh, beyond this, nothing. And uh, they used to, uh, tradition says that they actually inscribed that on the pillars of Hercules on either side of the Strait of Gibraltar, and it was a warning to sailors, and as sailors sailed through, it's like nothing beyond this, like watch out, we uh, warn you, uh, we, you better turn back, you might fall off the edge of the world, there, there'd be dragons out there, nothing beyond. But then Columbus sailed and they had to change their motto. <laughs> Today, the official motto of Spain is plus ultra, plenty more beyond. And may you have insight into your inheritance, plenty more beyond and may we let may it impact our daily lives the way we spend money and the way we interact with each other and uh, how we manage our time and how we steward our gifting plenty more beyond so let us pray great god lord over time lord of the future enlighten us give us eyes to see our inheritance and motivate us to persevere through trials and persecutions with the knowledge that we are not home yet. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Then one other thing that he prays for, actually the longest portion of our text occupies uh, this third issue. The apostle prays that we would understand the immeasurable power of his resurrection and his exaltation. And this is in verses 19 and, and following. Verse 19 says, May you know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and dominion, and Christ is exalted. May you know experientially this resurrection power that God exerted in behalf of his son who had died many years ago. So they took his body down from the cross, right? They put him in an empty tomb. They, they arranged his hands and they smoothed his matted hair, crusted now with blood. And they wrapped him up in yards of cloth and they backed out of the tomb. 
And then, uh, perhaps using crowbars or something, they heaved that large rock, and with a grinding and a thump, it went into a trough in front of the entrance of the tomb. And they departed, and the sun was setting, and Sabbath was beginning. And inside the tomb, nothing. No brain activity, no respiration. His waxy flesh grows cool, takes on the ambient temperature of the air and the rock. And it was a long night. And then the sun rose, and the air began to warm again, and the rock began to warm. But inside the tomb, nothing. And his disciples were off with doors closed, huddled, frightened, and it was a long day. And then the sun set, another long night. Then, the next morning, his heart gave one mighty lurch and began to beat again. And his eyes opened and his breathing began and Jesus sat up no longer with the wounds of the crown of thorns, no longer with the whipping on his back. He still possessed the, the puncture wounds in his hands and feet and his side, an eternal reminder of his sacrifice. But now there is strength in his hand and light in his eyes, and he sits up and stands up and unwinds himself and the rock rolls back, and Jesus goes for a walk. And very soon, as the sun rises, uh, the ladies will come to prepare him properly for burial, but they will find the rock rolled back in an empty tomb, and an angel will say, he's not here. He is risen. And the apostle Paul says, can you grasp it? Can the eyes of your heart see this and, and actually believe this? This power exerted in behalf of his son when he rose, and it is this same power, and this may actually be the most astounding thing in the whole passage, it is this same power that operates in you and me today for daily living, for victory over sin, to deny the works of the flesh, to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it is this same resurrection power. May you know it, may you experience it, may the eyes of your heart be illumined this is the doctrine of union with Christ. 
So Jesus died, right? And they put him in the tomb. And then on the third day, God's mighty power, and he rose again from the dead, and he's now ascended. He sits at the right hand. He's exalted on high. And if we are in Christ, we rise with him. Not because we're so great, not because we have resurrection power and life, but because of our faith in him and he extends all his sonship and his, the blessings to us and we too rise. And one day in the future, we will experience that in a deeper way at the, the resurrection of the dead. May we see it, may we know it, may we understand the power exerted in behalf of Christ, and now exerted in those who believe. And so, Father of life, who brought back Jesus Christ from the dead and exalted him at the right hand, thank you that you have included us. And we have been caught up in the power of the resurrection, and we too will rise. But for now, help us to walk in that power, obeying loving, serving, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So Paul's prayer becomes our prayer. May we understand the hope of our calling and a glorious inheritance laid up and the power of the resurrection which is at work in those who believe. Lord of the church and Lord of our hearts, help us to walk in hope because you've called us. Help us to remember that the future is bright when we will receive our inheritance, your inheritance. And now in the daily grind, help us to walk in the power of the resurrection. Through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.